You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. to the Heartland Politics show and podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of Northwestern Illinois and Eastern Iowa. This is your host, Robin Johnson. And first, we want to wish everybody a very happy Thanksgiving weekend here. Um, And our, our topic today, our show features the story of two giants of the U.S. Senate, including one from Illinois. In fact, he has roots uh, not far from the Quad City region. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will recognize the name. But perhaps more important than the individuals is the relationship they had in working in a bipartisan manner involving some very, very difficult issues in a decade, the 1960s, that had some very big challenges. The story has important resonance for today's politics, so it's the timing of this book is, is excellent. And the author's here with me today. He's Mark Johnson. He's been on our podcast before. Uh, This book is entitled Mansfield and Dirksen, Bipartisan Giants of the Senate. Mark, uh, thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Oh, gosh, Robin, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to visiting with you. Well, your books have a have an interesting pattern. Uh, the the last book I had you on to talk about had a local angle and that it involved uh, some elections um, back in 1980 and how the Senate elections uh, changed the Republican Party and that involved the election uh, loss of John Culver and when Chuck Chuck Grassley was elected. Um, this book again concerns the Senate. What uh, what's attracting you to kind of focus on the U.S. Senate specifically? Is there anything in particular? Well, I'm, I've always been fascinated by the Senate as an institution. Uh, somebody said one time that it, uh, in the whole broad sweep of Western democracy, the United States Senate is maybe the least democratic institution in any uh, system that has a representative form of government, in the sense that, you know, uh, the founders in their wisdom and in order to create the Constitution, made this bargain with small states to allow every state to have equal representation in the Senate. So uh, I live uh, for, I lived for a long time in Idaho, where two senators have the same clout, presumably, as two senators from Illinois, a much larger population state. Then you've got all these quirky rules in the Senate, uh, the unlimited debate, Uh, The idea that an individual senator, in the case of uh, a senator from Alabama right now, upholding up uh, military appointments simply because the Senate uh, rules and traditions allow that to happen. At the same time, the Senate has a great deal of uh, constitutional authority to uh, approve treaties, uh, to make appointments, confirm appointments to Supreme Court vacancies and federal judgeships the president's cabinet. So a lot of clout uh, in the Senate. And um, as Mike Mansfield often said, the longtime majority leader from Montana, the Senate is really kind of the rock of the republic. If the 
republic is working well, then the Senate is usually working pretty well. When it's not, the obverse is, uh, is unfortunately the case. So I've been fascinated by the institution and um, really, really interested in its leaders over time. And these two guys that I've written about, Mansfield and Dirksen, are uh, really extraordinary personalities, but also uh, tremendously effective leaders in their time. Um, and it's just, uh, I, I, I love delving into the story. To share with our listeners more about these two senators. I mean, in some ways they're similar, but in some ways they're they're just polar opposites. Yeah, they both came from uh, pretty humble uh, upbringings. Mansfield, uh, born in New York City. Uh, his mother died when he was quite young. His dad was hurt in a construction accident and so shipped young Mike off to relatives in Great Falls, Montana, where he, by his own admission, was a bit of a juvenile delinquent, dropped out of high school, uh, lied about his age to get into the military during World War I, uh, came back to Montana after that uh, military experience and with no real economic prospects and no education, uh, went to work in the copper mines in Butte, Montana. And by hook or by crook, worked his way out of there to a position of uh, tremendous prominence in American politics from the 1950s through the 1980s, really, when he, even after he left the Senate, he became the longest serving ambassador U.S. ambassador to Japan. Dirksen's upbringing, uh, hardscrabble farm kid, um, wanted to be an actor as a young man. His mother finally talked him out of that. But as I uh, have joked, he take, took up uh, show business by another avenue by uh, entering politics <laughs> and uh, cultivated a unique style, I think it's fair to say, both in terms of his appearance and his speaking style became one of the greatest orators, I think, in the history of the Senate, and a consummate political uh, deal maker, who created uh, remarkable relationships across the political aisle, not only with Mike Mansfield, while they served in leadership uh, during the 60s, but also with John Kennedy and uh, Lyndon Johnson. So a couple of really, really interesting characters. It was interesting. Um, uh... That um, Dirksen really liked the cameras. We're in the TV age now. The, the election of John Kennedy brought the TV age into politics, and Dirksen loved the cameras, but Mansfield didn't. And I, you point out that in some of the bill signings, he's hard to find in some of the pictures where that he had a very substantive role, well, a major role in getting legislation through. Yeah, I, I've never encountered a politician in my years of watching and, and participating in politics who was as genuinely publicity shy as Mansfield was. I mean, he seemingly had no ego, Robin, in the sense that he was not, uh, it was not part of his need to be uh, in front of the camera, to be at the center of attention all the time. I looked uh, in vain for a photograph that included him uh, in some of these great uh, signing events of the 60s, like the Civil Rights Act or the Voting Rights Act. Uh, Dirksen's there, of course, Hubert Humphrey's there, Robert Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King. You won't find Mansfield in any of those pictures. He uh, purposely avoided that kind of publicity. Uh, went all of his career in Congress, 34 years, never having a press secretary, managed his own press relations uh, by himself. 
Dirksen, on the other hand, the show business in him, uh, he really loved the limelight and cultivated it. It was said at one point that uh, he told reporters, uh, I don't care what you write about me. I just want you to write about me and, uh, <laughs> and to quote me correctly about whatever it is I'm, I'm uh, pontificating on. Uh, and he used that, I think, not just for ego gratification, but as a leadership tool in the sense that uh, he had a somewhat fractious Republican minority in the Senate during his time. And he used his prominence uh, as a national figure in order to bring along fellow Republicans to help pass the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and Medicare and so many of the other uh, landmark pieces of legislation that took place during that period. So it was um, publicity for, not publicity's sake, but for the sake of advancing a political agenda. And he was incredibly successful at it. You mentioned the Civil Rights Act, and that's got to be the pinnacle of their of their success in working together. Uh, it, it, at least it seems that way to me. Um, talk a little bit about Dirksen's role in this and how he played this. And there's still some interesting analysis that you go into in the book about um, about his role and how he was playing that and and how much he was in control, perhaps of of trying to bring Republicans along, but yet not, uh, you know, trying to play both sides a little bit until he had the votes uh, in his pocket. Well, and you would appreciate that it's important to understand the context of the time. So this is early 1964. John Kennedy has died the previous, been assassinated the previous November. Lyndon Johnson has come to the presidency, determined, as Johnson said, to out Kennedy Kennedy. He wanted to take Kennedy's agenda and push it through Congress including, most importantly, a civil rights bill. And um, the parties then obviously were vastly different than they are today. You had conservatives, moderates, even liberals in both parties. Uh, and Dirksen had, you know, always came from the conservative wing of the Republican Party, but had an amazing ability to uh, round up votes across the, the ideological span within the Republican caucus. So uh, as the civil rights bill starts to percolate early in 1964, it's very clear to Mansfield, the majority leader, that in order to advance legislation, he's going to have Dirks have to have Dirksen's full cooperation and many, many Republican votes to offset the Democratic votes that will be lost to the Southern segregationist bloc, people like Richard Russell and Jim Eastland, uh, old time segregationists who were opposed to any kind of civil rights legislation and had repeatedly been successful in stopping it. So um, I think uh, Dirksen played this uh, brilliantly in the sense that he played hard to get. Uh, he, he wanted to send the message to his fellow Republicans that he was going to be at the table when important decisions were being made, that he was representing the best interests of individual senators, but also the party. And again, the context is really important. One of the one of the no votes in the Senate for the Civil Rights Act in 1964 is Barry Goldwater, the senator from Arizona, who is everybody knows pretty much early on in 64 that he's likely to be the presidential candidate. So here you have the Republican leader of the Senate working with a Democratic president and a Democratic majority leader to advance uh, the Democratic president's agenda 
in opposition to the guy who's going to be the, the the candidate of his party for president. So imagine that happening today. It's it's kind of inconceivable. So Dirksen really played it very, very well, using all the leverage that he could uh, muster. And Mansfield more than met him halfway in the sense that he uh, really ceded to, to Dirksen uh, absolute control over how the legislation was going to eventually come together. And uh, there's still some difference of opinion about whether Dirksen really um, had tremendous influence on the substance of the legislation. I would say he he uh, affected it at the margins, but he certainly had a huge impact in uh, breaking the longest filibuster in Senate history and ultimately getting more than 70 votes for a civil rights bill. And for our listeners, keep in mind at this time, right now the rule says that uh, you need 60 votes to end debate. Cloture is what it's called. It, used, it was 67 back then, correct? Two was, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. The uh, rule was later changed, but at the time of the Civil Rights Act, it required 67 votes to cut off debate and actually get to uh, a debate on the on the merits of a bill. And uh, that's what happened uh, through Dirksen's uh, skillful, skillful mustering of uh, Republican votes and Mansfield's willingness to work with him so closely to the point that it infuriated uh, some of the Democrats, frankly, that Dirksen was getting all the attention. Uh, he was on TV every night, uh, quoted in the third paragraph of every story about uh, the developments of the Civil Rights Act. He was the guy that uh, Lyndon Johnson was talking to on a regular basis about strategy. And ultimately, uh, he deserves and has received a tremendous amount of credit. But I think uh, Mansfield deserves an equal amount of credit for realizing that the only way to get that legislation uh, enacted was to work it uh, precisely the way he did. And it was a, a brilliant example of bipartisan part of politics. You're listening to Heartland Politics on WVIK, Quad Cities NPR. I'm your host, Robin Johnson, and my guest today is Mark C. Johnson, who's the author of a new book called Mansfield and Dirksen, Bipartisan Giants in the Senate. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about that book and the protagonist, uh, Mike Mansfield, who was the Senate Majority Leader in the 1960s. He was a Democrat from Montana. Uh, and Everett Dirksen, who was a Republican from Pekin, uh, which is a couple hours from here. He was a Republican uh, minority leader. And uh, just the how much things have changed since that time and how uh, their relationship produced some significant bipartisan pieces of legislation that, boy, uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people yearn for that type of uh, cooperation today. Um, it. Like a lot of things in this country, the the, the good working relationship uh, kind of was broken a bit by the issue of Vietnam. And again, the 60s, uh, you know, we've talked about the 60s a lot on this show over the years and was one of the most fractious decades we've ever had. But uh, talk a little bit about the Vietnam War issue and how that kind of, um, especially with LBJ in the White House, uh, kind of uh, separated uh, the working relationship that Mansfield had with Dirksen a bit. Yeah, it certainly didn't fracture their personal relationship or their uh, sense of uh, kind of shared leadership, but it really did draw a sharp distinction between how each man viewed the war. Dirksen, in effect, became Johnson's chief cheerleader in the Senate 
for uh, the strategy, the Johnson strategy in Vietnam, Mansfield was a very early skeptic about uh, U.S. involvement there, counseled repeatedly against escalating the war, didn't want to ever see uh, American troops engaged in, in the fighting in Vietnam. And I make the point, Robin, in the book that uh, of uh, if there was any failure of the Dirksen-Mansfield uh, leadership, it was that they weren't able to bridge their differences on the war and uh, influence uh, maybe a better direction and in a more timely fashion. Uh, and so Dirksen, you know, is a product of uh, very much the Cold War period. He came to the Senate in 1950, uh, became an acolyte of Joe McCarthy, something that he uh, never really uh, spoke very much about later on in his life when McCarthy became very controversial. Uh, and Mansfield, uh, an Asian history scholar, uh, taught uh, history at the college level at the University of Montana, and he had a deep understanding of uh, sort of the colonial experience in Indochina, particularly the French experience there, and understood uh, that there was a nationalist movement uh, afoot in Vietnam, uh, even more important than a communist movement. So he is constantly... Um, arguing with John John Kennedy and then later with Lyndon Johnson that this is a war that can't be won by military means, that it will have to be a negotiated settlement and some kind of a political settlement uh, in order to, uh, you know, end this conflict that's been going on for, for generations there. But they never really, Dirksen and, and uh, Mansfield never really could get on the same page with regard to Vietnam. And, and that may be uh, the one aspect of their relationship that is something of a tragedy. There were several anecdotes, uh, quotes that I, I just have to pull out and discuss briefly because they're just so uh, um, indicative of the leadership that these two individuals displayed, which I just, I, I hunger for so much today. But Mike Mansfield, for example, says, uh, senators serve not just their state, but their country too. Uh, boy, we don't see that. We see it some. Some of the senators, I think, that did that uh, maybe aren't around anymore. John McCain might have been an example. Um, but uh, uh, talk about that a little bit, how that uh, he, he saw himself as not just representing his state, but the country as a whole. Yeah, and I think they both did, Robin. I think they both saw the role of being a United States senator as Number one, uh, you're elected by your constituents in your home state, and you have a responsibility to look out for their best interests, but not exclusively, particularly when a local concern gets trumped by a national uh, priority. And I think uh, they both had a remarkable degree of respect for the institution of the Senate and the fact that the Senate could play a pivotal role and had played a pivotal role on all kinds of issues over a long period of time, maybe most particularly uh, influence on foreign policy, uh, traditionally a prerogative of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which Mansfield served on virtually in his entire career. So yeah, a real fidelity to the institution and the, uh, the belief that, uh, you know, for the, as I mentioned at the outset, for this country to work well, the Senate has to work well. And uh, it, it hasn't always, uh, and there have been, you know, very dark periods where the Senate did not function well, 
but this is one uh, shining example of when, for the most part, it did function very, very well. This is a time, too, and you said something earlier, and I highlighted this in the book, that Mansfield was an example of somebody that, especially on Vietnam, he'd be the only person in the room to voice his opposition to escalation of the war. And so many times, I wonder now, like our state, we've had a series of governors that wound up in jail. Rod Bogoyevich comes to mind. I always ask, where was the one person in the room to wait? say, wait a minute, I don't right. think we should be trying to sell this Senate seat. Um, where's where's that? This is a tough question for you, but where's that type of leadership gone? I mean, we don't seem to have that, not just in government, but in, in most institutions anymore. Well, you know, I think it goes back to uh, a basic question of character. And uh, frankly, voters uh, and American citizens demanding a high level of character and accountability and integrity and honesty from their political leaders. Uh, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't do business with a banker or a home builder or a auto mechanic who you thought was not uh, honest and upstanding and going to treat you fairly. Well, we shouldn't expect anything less of, a, of the people we send to represent us in the Congress or the state uh, state capitol. So I think it really comes back to a question of character. Is your word good? Uh, are you a person of integrity? When you say you're going to do something, do you actually do it? Do you treat people the way you would hope to be treated in your political dealings? That's kind of the Mansfield mantra in a way. He said over and over again, I said, I don't always succeed, but I, I try uh, to treat other people the way I hope to be treated. And that's a pretty good place to start in terms of uh, measuring a person's character. So I think it really does come back to the, to the character uh, aspect of a political leader's life and uh, approach to the job. And if they are lacking one of those uh, fundamental components of character, then you've got a problem. And we have that problem right now uh, manifestly in our politics of people who are not uh, able to speak the truth, not able to be uh, men, men and women of integrity, uh, to follow the facts where they lead. And uh, it's part of the answer as to why we have the hyper-partisanship that we do today, uh, because the other side is considered an enemy uh, rather than a uh, an opponent from time to time who uh, the democracy demands that you find a way to accommodate uh, as often as you possibly can in order to move forward the national interest, not just the party's uh, interest. We just had last week a story from Washington where a sitting U.S. senator uh, was getting ready to get up and go fight a witness uh, in, a, in a committee hearing. Um, you trace this decline in civility, uh, which I thought was very interesting and, and one of the very most uh, interesting points of your book, back to the 60s and to television. Can you expound on that a little bit? Well, I think uh, if I recall correctly, I quoted Daniel Shore, the longtime yep. CBS uh, correspondent who covered uh, the civil rights uh, and voting rights uh, issues in the Congress. And he said, you know, uh, before the cameras showed up, uh, you had a, a better, uh, more civil uh, discourse among political uh, leaders. Uh, but once the camera showed up and they realized that they could perform, 
and often perform just for the sake of performance, not for a, a substantive reason, that it started to subtly and then uh, even not so subtly change things for the worse. So I think we're seeing that now. I mean, uh, so much of what you see in politics is seems to me to be just pure performance. You're acting out uh, a script almost that'll wind that'll end you up on cable television or makes a good 10 second uh, clip that you can post to your Twitter feed uh, as opposed to having uh, a real substantive approach to the big issues that confront the nation. So yeah, the the media bubble that we all uh, who pay attention to politics uh, struggle to understand and live with uh, has had a I think generally speaking, a detrimental effect on our the nature of our politics. These two individuals were very much uh, institutionalists. They loved the Senate. They wanted to hold, uphold its traditions. I think they would have been abhorred by what happened last week. Uh, I think they would have been abhorred by the by the uh, the story earlier of doing away with Senate attire standards. Um, I guess my last question, Mark, and this is a hard one, but I, I, I'll give you got a couple minutes here. But um, what I, I mean, how how uh, how can we get back? I, I mean, you, you've partly answered it just by making better decisions on voting, but how do we get back to getting the Mansfields and the Dirksons in public office? I mean, that seems to me to be the way to start to turn things back around, but it. It just depends on, I guess, voters uh, demanding that. I think that's exactly right, Robin. There's no um, magic wand here to be waved about to um, put American democracy on a better trajectory. It's going to come down to uh, individual citizens uh, taking it more seriously, paying greater attention uh, to rewarding people in both political parties or in no political party uh, who behave with the characteristics that we were discussing a moment ago of uh, integrity and honesty and humility. Uh, one thing uh, Mansfield always preached was the importance of self-restraint in politics. You might have a huge majority, you might be able to do something, but it's not necessarily the thing that is the right thing to do and to have uh, the, the self-awareness to uh, restrain yourself from maybe your uh, most base uh, human instincts. So I think all of those characteristics are incredibly important in a democratic system. And somehow we have to find people who are uh, willing to display those kind of characteristics uh, to get back into positions of uh, political prominence and leadership. So it really does come down to the voters demanding better. Uh, and I suspect the vast majority of Americans would say, you know, something's wrong right now with this democracy. It's dysfunctional. It doesn't work nearly as well as we think it should. And uh, it's going to be up to us to make the course correction. Nobody else is going to do it for us. 30 seconds. Could Mike Mansfield and Everett Dirksen be elected in their respective parties and respective states today? Um Boy, that's a really good question. I would say yes, uh, for the simple reason that they both were uh, men of character and substance. And I think, uh, I hope, I pray that American voters are looking for uh, that in their political leaders right now. Mark Johnson, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Heartland Politics on this Thanksgiving Day weekend uh, podcast. Uh, 
Uh, the book, again, that Mark wrote is Mansfield and Dirks and Bipartisan Giants of the Senate. If you want to look at the potential that our country has in this important institution in the Senate to get things done, it can still happen. And this book tells how it can happen. So uh, I hope some folks read it and ponder it and uh, do their best to kind of bring this about. Mark, uh, thank you again for taking the time. Real pleasure to be with you, Robin. Happy Thanksgiving. Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR.